Hello, Grace Hill. Welcome. Uh, I mean, thank you for that welcome, and thank you for your hospitality. I felt very welcome this morning at the volunteer service. I think it's awesome that you have one of those. I'm grateful for your church, and namely, I'm not just saying this. I'm grateful for Pastor Tom. You're very blessed because Pastor Tom has a gift. His gift is taking some of the most challenging topics out there, sociological topics, critical topics, topics on culture, topics on theology. And somehow God has given Tom a gift to systematize it, to make it clear, to process it, and to communicate in a very clear way where the rest of us who are pastors can take it and teach it to our churches. <laughs> so i um, grateful for, to, to be here. Well, part of that is, and I think it reflects the character of your church, is you're taking time to think through this theme of a faith of our own. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful theme. But it did take me some time to think about it. So it was good for me to process what it means to formulate a faith of our own. You see, I'm used to looking at passages and doing an expository sermon. So I really had to think, Matt, what does it mean to formulate a faith of our own? I think it's important to think about the various streams of influence that has shaped our upbringing and has shaped our faith. Each of us is different. So if you come from a Christian home, your experience is going to be different. If you come from a non-Christian home, your experience is going to be different. And your cultural background, your heritage, if you will, if you want to call that, that will also shape your faith. You see, for me, my cultural heritage, I'm what you would call a second-generation Chinese-American. I grew up in an immigrant home where my parents mostly spoke Chinese, even though I was born here. But for some weird reason, and by God's grace, by the time I was five or six years old, my parents took me to a Chinese Baptist church, me and my two younger sisters. And it just happens to be the same church that I've been serving at for the last 20 years. It's, it is the church I grew up at, First Chinese Baptist Church of Walnut. Uh, at the time, it was called First Chinese Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley. It was a church plant. And so I grew up in a Chinese church. But naturally, the theology that I learned the gospel in the way that it was framed and presented to me was what you would call, or maybe you could call a Western evangelical framework. You can call it American Christianity if you want to call it that. Some people call it white church culture, which I'm saying that not in a negative sense. But basically, all of our children's programming, like Awana, you know, everything that was taught to us. Later on, when I was a youth, and we would, our youth pastor would take us to concerts, it's basically American, and we even followed some of the popular trends, like are you, are you guys familiar with like purity culture and true love weights? We did that too. So every single thing that was taught to us, even though we're in this Chinese-American church and everything was in English in, in the congregation that I worshipped in, it was almost like Christianity to me growing up in an immigrant home and a non-Christian immigrant home, Christianity to me was an American religion. It was a Western religion. And my church, being a Chinese-American church, was just trying to do some imitation of it. It was good, but it wasn't the real thing. The real thing is what we would experience when we would go to the Christian concerts. The real thing is when I visited the Calvary Chapel down the street. That's the real thing. right? And so it was natural for me to think that way until I got to college. I went to Bible college by God's grace and it dawned on me that, hey, Christianity was never a Western or European or American thing. Christianity was built on Old Testament Judaism, 
The roots of Christianity is Jewish. Now, you're looking at me like, no duh, right? But I mean, how many times do we take the time to think about that? So here's what I want us to see today. Here's how I want us to think about it, is uh, there should be a, some slides for you, if you could see it. Okay. Um, on the next slide, well, I've entitled the message, Stewarding, Stewarding Our Cultural Heritage for Christ. But first, there's a faith heritage that is common, right? Every single one of us, if you're a Gentile, meaning you're not Jewish by ethnicity, if you're a Gentile believer, you embrace a Jewish foundation for our Christian faith. I have yet to meet one Gentile believer that rejects that, that says, oh, no, I have a problem with Jesus being Jewish, <laughs> or I have a problem with Israel being the people of God, the Old Testament. I think it's something that if you grew up in the church, or even if you're new to Christianity, you kind of just accept it. You might ask questions of why God planned it or ordained it that way in Scripture, why the plan of redemption worked out in that degree or that, that manner, but most of us accept that that Gentile believers embrace a Jewish foundation for our faith, and every believer is adopted into a common faith heritage that's built on the Old, New Old and New Testament. This is something that if you're a Christian, we all accept, and this is our common faith heritage. I want you to consider that, that all of us, we share a faith heritage that traces back to Old Testament Judaism. Now, obviously, that's fulfilled through the person and work of Christ, where now as New Testament believers, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you are the people of God through Christ. But next, we have a faith of our own. And a faith of our own is the gospel and doctrine applied uniquely given each person's background and cultural heritage. And so growing up, I always thought that the faith heritage that's passed to us is Western evangelical I didn't even know what it was called that, but Western evangelical thought or the framework of American Christianity. I thought that that's real Christianity and us as Chinese Americans or Korean Americans or any other cultural heritage that you might have grown up in, that that's like we're secondary. But actually, Western or American Christianity is just one contextualized version of adapting a Christianity that we all embrace that's built on Old Testament Judaism and that's fulfilled in New Testament Christianity. And our Asian American experience, I'm looking around, if you're Asian American, even if you're not and you have a, another cultural experience, it's one of the experiences, one of the ways that we apply the gospel through the framework of our background and culture. So this makes our Asian American experience and our, our application of the common faith heritage I think legitimate, but I never thought of it that way. You see, what makes our faith journey challenging is that most of us, we learned the gospel through the Western framework. And I'm speaking positively of it. I'm not speaking negatively of the gospel being proclaimed to you in a very Western way. But yet, if you grew up in an immigrant home, or if you're Asian American, there's certain cultural experiences, there's certain ways you've experienced the faith that's very different. And that's why it's kind of a hybrid. There's this intersection that I think we need to explain. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that we should ever elevate our ethnic identity or our cultural heritage over our identity in Christ. I'm never, I'm not saying that. I don't think any of you would believe that, right? That as whether you're Jew or Gentile, whatever your ethnicity is, we're united in Christ. 
that our Christ-centered identity, our identity in the gospel takes precedence. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we cannot ignore, we cannot ignore the fact that when we apply and understand the gospel and doctrine, that it needs to be worked through the intersection of our cultural upbringing. Okay? So I want to take us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. So you have the sermon passage on your programs, but you can also uh, look on screen as, as well as I have the, an outline for you. And uh, if you'll please stand as we do scripture reading. So let's stand together, and I'm going to read this into your hearing, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's just one verse, and I'm taking this topically today, but allow me to read this into your hearing. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Please be seated. If you notice how I've broken down 1 Peter 2.9 for you, in light of our theme and our topic, is first in the first part of 1 Peter 2.9, we see our faith heritage that's common. So this is what I was referring to a few moments ago, that we all embrace a Christianity that's built on Old Testament roots, right? When, when, when it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, this is the language of Old Testament privilege. If you were a Jew or an early Jewish Christian, this would speak honor to you. This is language of honor. To be described this way, to have these titles bestowed upon you, it would mean something very special. But Peter wrote to Christians that were scattered across Asia Minor. We, we see that in 1 Peter 1.1, which means that there were some Jewish Christians, but there were many Gentile believers. And for them, in order for this verse to make any sense, it needed to be explained to them. You see the parallel I'm drawing? Is that in the same way that we might have received our faith through a Western framework, Right? contextualize and explain to us. That's what was happening with the Gentiles in the early church. They had to have all these Jewish ideas and symbols and thoughts explained to them. Otherwise, they couldn't make sense of this verse. Then in the second part of, of verse 9, I see that as where we can formulate a faith story of our own. So we have a faith heritage that is common to all of us. Then we have a faith story of our own. I'll explain the text, but when it says that you may, there's a purpose that our identity gives us a purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies or the glory of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? And when it says God called us out of darkness, that's where our cultural experience comes in, positive and negative, because each of us have a different experience, different sins that Jesus redeemed you from, a different cultural upbringing where you learned your faith, right? And so as you proclaim your testimony, you're sharing your personal story. And so even though Peter is writing corporately, when he says you, it's plural. He's writing to the church, and he says you, the second you, in verse 9, in the second part, that you, that's 
That's encompassing every individual testimony. Everybody tells a different story of how Jesus saved us, rescued us from a different form of darkness. I'm not saying, again, I'm going to talk about our Asian American experience. I'm not saying that Asian American, that that's darkness, okay? I'm not saying that that if you're Asian American, you come from a sinful, evil background. But what I'm saying is that we have to consider that. So let's, let's dive in. First, a faith heritage that's common. Someone in the early church needed to explain to Peter's audience and anybody that received this letter the meaning of these words, that you are a chosen race. That for the Jews of the Old Testament, by God's plan and his ordained plan, that the Jews were his chosen people. The people of God, a type of people of God. right? And in the Old Testament, it was magnified as Israel. But Israel... They're the descendants of Abraham. And I kind of joke, and I know it doesn't make sense, I always kind of joke that Abraham was a Gentile. No, Abraham was just a regular guy that his descendants became the 12 tribes of Israel. But the Abrahamic promise was always, Abraham, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. So even Judaism was built on this idea that one day there would be a seed, a Messiah, and we know it's Christ, who would bring blessing to all ethnicities, all nations, right? But it had to be explained to any Gentile in the New Testament that chosen race is not talking about any one particular race. That Peter is taking this idea of what was privileged, a privileged title for Israel, and saying this applies now to you as Gentiles. That the chosen race is the one people of God. The chosen race is anybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It needed to be explained to the Gentiles why royal priesthood means anything you see, for, for a Jew, the only way that you would be connected into the line of royalty is if you're somehow connected to the line of David. Otherwise, how would you even enter into the line of royalty? And we know that the greater son of David is Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying, if you trust in Christ, the true and better David, that you are now in God's line, this royal line that you're ushered in, you're grafted in, and priesthood. Right? Who wants to be a priest? Right? You're a Gentile, especially us today, we're reading this, we're like, uh, Catholicism? No. Right? For, the, for an Old Testament Jew who was devout, one of the life goals was to have access to God's presence. And if you were, the only way you could be a priest is if you were somehow connected to a priestly family line. And the priest had access to God's presence. It was an honor for a priest to, to mediate the sacrifices, to offer sacrifices on behalf of Israel and to stand in the presence of God. And they can mediate people into and lead people into the presence of God. In fact, God's presence was like a blessing that whenever symbolically, we know God's omnipresent, so he's everywhere, but symbolically, whenever Israel sinned, God's presence would symbolically, symbolically be removed. But if Israel obeyed and they obeyed the sacrifices and trusted God, then he would tabernacle among them. Or the, or the, the, the temple represented a symbol of God's presence among his people. And so the priests had that privilege of always having access to God's presence. And we know that Jesus Christ is the true and better king of Israel, and he's the great high priest. So he's the royal priest. And through Christ, as Gentiles, we get to that privileged title. See, that had to be explained. The way I'm explaining it to you, even the way I'm explaining it to you is not a very Asian way, right? I'm explaining it to you 
propositionally. I'm explaining it to you through a Western framework. But the early church Gentiles had to have it explained to them in their unique way as Gentiles. They had to understand the holy nation meant a nation set apart. That was Israel in the Old Testament. Now it's not just one nation, but it's representing the people of God, the church in the, in the New Testament. It had to be explained to them that this language of being a people for God's own possession, that even this language harkens back to Babylonian captivity. It's the language of redemption. That even though God's people are in exile under Babylonian captivity, that, that Jesus, the Redeemer, that God's a redeeming God, that he's one day going to bring his people out of slavery and out of exile. But not only that, He's going to bring us out of spiritual slavery. And that's what Peter does. He takes this Old Testament idea and he says, you and I, we're not being rescued out of Babylonian exile and being brought back into Jerusalem. We're taken out of the exile of our spiritual slavery to sin and death. And Jesus is rescuing us and bringing us into his kingdom, into his marvelous light, right? And so my point, my point being of of taking this text for the purpose of our theme is that even the earliest Gentile Christians had to learn about their Jewish background. Even if they weren't Jew, they had to learn the background of Judaism to understand in the same way, okay, American Christianity is one form of a contextualized understanding and framework of communicating, not changing the gospel, okay, not changing sound doctrine, but communicating, processing, and understanding it. It would be the same for an Asian American understanding. It would be the same if you grew up as a 1.5 generation, or maybe your parents, they have like a Korean theology or a Chinese version of sound doctrine applied. See, even though I'm communicating to you in a Western framework, I, I quickly had to learn that when, when I preach in the Chinese services and they translate me, that they understand theology better communicated as story. So if I were to teach the storyline of Scripture or the symbols in the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ, that would mean more to them, right? The way that they communicate in circles rather than deductive truth, inductively, like kind of building up in the end, boom, here's the point, right? That would speak powerfully to the Chinese, uh, the, to the Chinese congregations if I were being translated and so when I write my sermons for the Chinese congregation, it's like a, a completely separate sermon that needs to be translated. But when I speak to the English congregation, they're like you. And they can understand propositional truth communicated in a certain way. Right? And so how people receive the gospel and how they understand theology is going to be different. And I say that because in recent years, there's been a lot of talk, and I, I'm guilty of this about 10 years ago, where, where you know, let me just use some terms that you might understand or some organization. So, so the way that we should understand our theology is the gospel-centered way, the whatever's on uh, Desiring God or the Gospel Coalition, right? Like that's sound doctrine. So anything where we say an Asian-American version of it, that's liberal or that's like wrong. And if you look at 1 Peter 2.9, it's not wrong. And I had to come to realize that because that's exactly what the first century Christians had to do. They had to understand that it's okay to understand your faith through your cultural framework. Now, that leads to the second, the second part of First Peter 2.9. I do want to get into 
the faith story of our own, a faith story of our own. And, and after I explain the text really quickly, I'll talk about my Asian American experience on how to process and steward our cultural heritage, right? It, Peter says in the second part of verse 9 that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. To proclaim literally means to tell out, and the excellencies I mentioned before, it speaks of God's worthiness. Now, here's why it's important it speaks of God's perfection. Because your experience, including your cultural upbringing, it's part of God's glory. It's it's excellent that God in his sovereign design ordained for you to be saved in a certain context. That's part of God's plan that, that maybe you're Asian or Hispanic or whatever it might be, but you learned Christianity and came to faith maybe in America or maybe if it's in a foreign country. That's part of his plan. That's excellent that that's part of your story, in addition to the sins that he's rescued you from, the ongoing work that he's doing of sanctification in your heart. All of that speaks of God's worthiness and his glory that we proclaim the excellencies, not of our own works, but of the work that he does even when when you consider your cultural upbringing. And he called you out of darkness, out of your old life of darkness and into his marvelous light. And these are stories of ongoing redemption where every dark and shameful story becomes a story of redemption, right? And I say it's ongoing because a lot of times we need to continue to apply the gospel, okay? Let me give you the big idea or the main point of what I feel like we can pull from 1 Peter 2.9 and then I'm gonna do the application where it's gonna be a lot more topical, Okay. The, the big idea is that Jesus' people share a common faith heritage, yet each proclaim a unique faith story that intersects with our cultural heritage. Let me say that again. Jesus' people share a common faith heritage, yet each proclaim a unique faith story that intersects with our cultural heritage. I think we can say that. We can draw that from the text. Now, how do we process this through our unique experience? So I can just share... Mine. I'm Chinese American, but I grew up from birth until third grade. I grew up in Whittier, California. And that's not too far from here, Whittier, California. And this was the 1980s, so I'm dating myself. And in my elementary school, literally, I was one of two Asians. I'm not joking. There was me and another guy. He was Thai. He's from Thailand. And we, were, we, we became friends, obviously. Okay, but we were the only Asians. So I'm not lying about this. The two most common questions I was asked on the playground, and I have a slide for this, a picture, is, is your dad Bruce Lee? Okay, I'm not not joking. They're like, is your dad Bruce Lee? And do you know Kung Fu? And I did not know Kung Fu. And my dad, obviously not Bruce Lee. But this worked out for my advantage. I mean, yeah, at times, you know, kids would do the slanted eye thing or you know, do haya or ching chong wa or, you know, and I apologize on behalf of all of you. If you're Korean and they called you Chinese, you know, when, when you're like outside, you're, you're in majority space, when you're a kid, everybody's from, everybody's Chinese. If you're Asian, you're Chinese, right? So they're like, oh, you must be Chinese. I am Chinese. And, uh, but they would always ask me, but one time it worked out for me where I heard a kid say, hey, don't mess with him. Don't make fun of him. His dad's Bruce Lee. He knows Kung Fu, right? Uh, so n- no joke. And then my mom took me to the local Whittier YMCA during the summertime for two years. And they had this, uh, maybe three years, they had this day camp. 
And I just remember uh, two of the female counselors, and they were nice, honestly, they were nice. Uh, they were not Asian. Uh, and they were either late high school or college, I don't know. And they always called me Long Duck Dong. And there's a picture, uh, and I had no idea who this guy was. I mean, t- in today's world, Long Duck Dong sounds wrong in every way. It's like racist, everything, right? But I didn't know that. And they're like endearingly calling me Long Duck Dong. They're like, you look like Long Duck Dong. And I found out, I'm like, who is that? You know, I'm like a first grader, a second grader. And they, they said, oh, it's from some movie called 16 Candles. And, but, you know, so I went through, and I didn't really think about it too much. I just knew I was different. Right? They made me feel like I was different. And again, like, maybe some of you experience being bullied. I, I didn't experience being bullied. Maybe I was always tall. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I did feel made fun of or different. Then in third grade, everything changed. In third grade, my family moved 10 minutes up the hill from Whittier to Hacienda Heights, California. You guys know where that is? I was no longer special or different. Everybody in my class was like Asian. And that's the first time that I knew there was different types of Asians. Like there's Korean American, Japanese American. And I'm like, oh, dude, there's Chinese people whose parents don't speak Chinese. Like they're called second gen or third gen. Oh, this guy's Japanese, but his parents don't speak Japanese. I was learning these things for the very first time. And nobody asked me if my dad's Bruce Lee. Nobody assumed I knew Kung Fu. We're all, like, we all eat rice. Like, we go to each other's, like, you know, we go to each other's homes. We're all taking off our shoes. You know, it's like the weirdest thing, right? When you're an Asian kid growing up, you go to your non-Asian kid's, uh, you know, friend's house, and then you go up into a room. They're like, oh, keep your shoes on. And they wear their, their shoes on their bed. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, it's just this crazy experience, right? And so... After third grade, from third grade all the way up till I graduated high school, I didn't really think that I was Asian-American. You're surrounded by Asians. I mean, you know you're Asian, but no, you know, you're kind of just thinking about academics, sports, school, girls, you know, whatever you're thinking of. You're not really thinking, oh, I'm different, until I went to college. I went to a really good Christian university, and at the time that I went there, the majority, there weren't too many Asians, right? The majority were, of the student body was non-Asian. And when I was around the non-Asians, I, for some reason, I didn't know how my childhood impacted me. I didn't, never processed my years in Whittier. I didn't know why I felt like when I was around the non-Asians, I had to be louder. I had to, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's obnoxious, but I was like, hey, bro, what's up, dude? Yeah, man. You know, I just had to. Otherwise, I'm, I'm silent. And I don't know why. Like, I had a Razor scooter. This is like the early 2000s, right? A razor scooter. I put like Britney Spears stickers on it, and uh, Backstreet Boys, and you know, I was wearing. I had spiky hair, uh, wearing like bright colored Hurley. Sh- uh, yeah, I'm talking about some of you. And I just, I, I just felt like, you know, I just felt like, hey, you know, I had to kind of fit in. But at this school, there was a group of Asians that hung out together. It was the Koreans, right? So if you're Chinese, you kind of just hang out. You kind of assimilate with non-Asian culture, or you kind of hang out one or two, or you're an international student. At the time, if you wanted to find a gathering of Asians hanging out, it was the Korean Americans. So even though I wasn't a Korean American, they, they did make me feel like home. Because maybe I'm passionate. I just asked if I didn't understand something. And I quickly learned that, like, man, you guys do pranks that are illegal, man. Like, you know, and, um, you know, and then they would invite me out to eat, and, and we'd have praise nights together, and they basically, like, kind of Koreanized me. In fact, like, after two years, they just assumed and thought I was Korean until I told them, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really Chinese, you know. And so, but, but it, w- it, was, it was different, and I felt like I, w- I could be myself. 
Even though I wasn't Korean, I felt like I could be myself. But again, when I was with non-Asians, I acted differently. I wasn't as relaxed. I wasn't as chill. And I didn't understand that my childhood had impacted me. And this is among Christians. So it wasn't like there was like racism or anything like that, right? I mean, I did feel different. I did feel different when I played basketball in college and I played with non-Asians. I felt like I had to like represent, like I had to be good. I wanted them to say, hey, he's Asian, but uh, you know, he's not that bad, right? Because at that time there was no Jeremy Lin and they drove Jeremy Lin out of the league anyway. You know, Yao Ming doesn't count, right? He's like not, not Asian American. And so, you know, even I always felt like I had to prove myself. And then here's where I want to talk about navigating our cultural experience. Finally, I began to process And so this is where we take our common gospel message that we believe in, as well as a sound doctrine that we believe in, and you begin to apply it to yourself. Let me give you one example that doesn't necessarily apply to your cultural heritage, and then let me apply it out, okay? So when you become a Christian, you deal with multiple levels of relationship. Your relationship with God, your relationship with others, but sometimes it takes a while to deal with ourselves, Okay, so if, 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 you, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, let's just say you come from a broken home where your parents were divorced. You, you probably like deal with God, right? Okay, God, I'm going to deal with my sin and you. Obviously, that's coming to faith in Christ. And if you're bitter at your parents or if you're bitter with someone, like, come on. You know, they're right in front of you. You love God, love others. You've got to deal with that. So you've got to eventually work to forgive your parents, right, as a Christian. But then what about when you're a child? And you're sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, or even younger. And you've never, like as a child, you don't know how to process these emotions and thoughts. So did you ever take the gospel that you believe in and apply it to how you felt about yourself? You've dealt with God. Maybe you've dealt with your parents. Have you dealt with yourself? Have you applied the gospel to your heart? Now, you could do this with your Asian American or your cultural heritage. And so for me, in my years of Whittier, I didn't know God. So let's move to others. When I process my relationship with others, I had to think these non-Asian kids that are making fun of me or calling me Bruce Lee or asking my dad's Bruce Lee or the counselors calling me Long Duk Dong, I mean, they still befriended me. Uh, I, 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 maybe some people were bullied and I recognize we got to be sensitive to that. I wasn't bullied. I was made fun of at times. But as a Christian, I can think of this now, right? I, I can process systematically, okay, here's why racism exists because of sin. These were kids at the time. I can honestly say that none of them meant evil towards me. Even if there were some kids who meant evil towards me, I'm a Christian, I should forgive them. And maybe their parents were racist. I mean, maybe their parents influenced them in some way. But you know what? I'm a Christian now. I'm an adult. I can process this. Right? I can say, hey, uh, I, I've, I went back and applied the gospel to how I might have felt different right, towards others. So I, I, I can forgive. I'm not bitter at all. You know, who knows? Maybe one of these kids that made fun of me, maybe he's a pastor now or something. I mean, maybe we're, we could serve together. But what about myself? See, the hardest one to navigate is it took my time to really apply the gospel to my heart. Um, and so I started to think, through, how did I feel when they asked me those questions or when I was called Long Duck Dong? I remember now some of my thoughts. I, I thought to myself, hey, I play with G.I. Joes. I like Transformers. I watch Gummy Bears. I know I'm dating myself. I eat Captain Crunch and Kicks and Frosted Flakes, and I like hot dogs and pizza and hamburgers. Like, I, I was like, I didn't know I was so different. 
And I was kind of embarrassed at times. I'm like, oh yeah, my parents don't speak English that well. Like, I wish they would speak English better. And I never verbalized it. I, 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 like I said, once I moved to Hacienda Heights, I never thought about it. But you think about all the TV shows that you watch, and really, during that time, I think I wanted to be white. Because I, I didn't want to be different. I wanted to fit in. And I didn't realize that until I went to the Christian university, I started acting a certain way. I started acting differently. Right? So I had to apply that to myself to really trace back to say, what was I thinking that my parents were different or that I'm different? But I don't want to be different. I don't think I'm different. I speak English. I, actually, my Chinese is not that good. I mean, I can speak it conversationally, but, you know, I, why am I different? And, and so now I can say, after processing it, I can sit in a circle with all non-Asian pastors and I'm okay that I communicate differently. <clears throat> and I know this is because I'm Asian. And I'll just say it's because I'm Asian. When, when I'm sitting with pastors and we're gathered together and they're sharing very confidently and very boldly, I don't mind just listening and just speaking up if I have to. Uh, and when we talk about our churches... I don't mind not, you know, when they talk about their churches, it's not bad. This is how they communicate. Oh, I have this many people, and we started this ministry, and we launched this blog, and we launched blah, 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 blah. And I'm just kind of more, yeah, that, like we don't talk that way. In, 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 in the Chinese church community, the Chinese-American community, if I had a blog or if I had a podcast or if I wrote a book, like I don't, you don't platform yourself. You know, I don't tell any. I didn't tell anybody except for the staff that I'm speaking here today. You know, like I just, just kind of, you don't platform yourself. If you did, people would be like, who do you think you are? You know? So the way to do it is you do all those things. You have a blog. You, you know, write a book. You podcast. You get a degree or something. And you let other people find out about it. And they share it. Right? And then, and then your community is proud of you. But they won't tell you. They're proud of you. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're so, we give him honor. But, you know, we're not going to say. That, that's like the, the, this is the Chinese way. You know? That's how you get ahead. That's, that's how you become a lead pastor of a Chinese church. You know, you just kind of fly under the radar. And so when I sit with you know, majority culture of pastors, like, I, I'm okay with that. I'll always give deference to the guy who's older. But that's not always the case, you know, the younger guys are really loud, right? I'll always give deference to the older one. I mean, some of you understand that. Sometimes I don't even, like, I know they're not looking for it, but I'll be like, you know, it's just, I just do it. And it's just part of because of the culture. And I can say today that I'm super comfortable with that. I'm super comfortable with who I am. And I don't have to apologize about my church being weird. Like, oh, yeah, we're a church with three language congregations. I know it's complex. Uh, I don't have to apologize. Like, oh, we're called First Chinese Baptist Church, but we have a lot of non-Chinese people in the English congregation. Like, I used to always feel like I have to apologize. Like, my church is not normal, right? Um, but now I'm just like, yeah, this is who, my story, and I want to steward it well. And why? Because I went back and applied the gospel to those childhood experiences. I want to end with some short application on, in terms of stewarding our cultural heritage. And some of these are just quick and self-explanatory. I think one of the ways we can steward our cultural heritage is that God can use us to reach people with a similar experience. People growing up in an immigrant home, if that's you, or if you didn't grow up in an immigrant home, there's positive and negative experiences that you can naturally you know, connect with people over, right? When I worked for two years as an intern at a, uh, at a white church, a majority culture church, I could minister the gospel to some of the kids that I ministered to, but they were into skateboarding and surfing, and I couldn't do that. And 
you know, everything was on Wednesday night fellowship, Tuesday night. You don't touch Friday night. Friday nights were football games and dances, and it was a different culture. And it was, it was like I, I could minister the gospel, but it was different. Then when I went back and started ministering to youth in my early years of ministry in the Asian church, oh, you're about to get disowned because you got rejected from Harvard. Okay, let's talk about that. Oh, yeah, your parent, you got this tension with your parents. Oh, your parents say they're Christian, but they're really teaching you Confucianism, and now you're Confucianism. Okay, yeah, you know, Christian disciples. These conversations, it wasn't that being Asian's any better. It wasn't that I was less effective in terms of communicating our common heritage, but I was more effective in proclaiming a story of redemption and working with people who have a similar experience. I think that goes without saying. Secondly, I think God can use us as peacemakers and mediators within a divisive evangelical climate. Now, if you've ever experienced any type of racism or prejudice, you can look at someone like an African-American or black American brother, and you can say, I haven't experienced your roots, but I can empathize enough of what it's like to always feel like I'm assimilating. At the same time, a lot of us as Asian Americans, it's true that we found our own path, and so did our immigrant parents, and we kind of assimilated, and we've kind of found our road to success, so we have experienced privilege. And honestly, I can say to you that, at least in the ministry world, that a lot of majority culture people, they, they treated me fine. You know, I, I might be si- like marginalized at times, silent, but you know, it's not like they were prejudiced towards me. So I can understand their frustrations with some of the woke conversation. So I'm always in the middle, and I think that's true for some of you, that you can always be, hey, like, I haven't been hurt where you've been hurt, or maybe a little bit of both, but I can mediate. I can be a peacemaker. I don't have this history that I'm loaded with, but I've always been assimilating. I've never felt like I've been at home in majority culture. So you know what? I'm, I'm not as offended by certain things, but I can, I can just sit there and maybe help guide the discussion, right? And thirdly, I think God can use our experience of feeling like foreigners if you ever felt like a foreigner at all, physically speaking or ethnically. First Peter refers to his readers as spiritual foreigners. We could see that as God equipping us to be spiritual foreigners to this world system, that we could be more set apart because we've experienced the rhythms and the lifeblood of what it means to feel like a foreigner. And sometimes that's okay because this world is not our home, right? And so with that, let me repeat the big idea one more time and then um, we'll take a moment just to reflect. But the big idea once again is Jesus' people share a common faith heritage yet each proclaim a unique faith story that intersects with our cultural heritage. Why don't we take a moment now just to reflect on any way the Lord wants to apply the gospel, to take the gospel and apply it to maybe your cultural experience or your upbringing or some type of pain that you went through or even a positive example and and take a moment just to do that and then I'll close us in prayer.